it was seeing him with E Street, because if, if you remember, he broke up with them in 89, so I missed the Tunnel of Love tour, because I was still really young at that point. And so when I had seen him with the band was in 92, but by the late 90s, I didn't really remember the show that much, because I was so young when it happened. And so and I, and I don't remember much of the Tom Joe show either, just because I was such a kid. And even now, like trying to think back, I'm like, I kind of have an idea of what it was like, but I can't tell you. Like people could tell you what he talked about or what he joked about and what the set list was. And I'm just thinking about like, I just remember him on a stool with the guitar from Tom Joe. That's it. That's the only, and I don't have like a sonic image of it. It's just the vision of seeing him and he's there and I'm here. That's what I remember. So, but then I saw him on the reunion tour with E Street, and that's when I really started to get it. Was because that was my first experience with E Street. I understood, okay, yeah, Clarence is badass. Steve Van Zandt and Niels Lofgren can wail just as good as Bruce can on the guitar. And okay, it's Roy with Danny that it's that contrast that makes that really work incredibly different. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Diego. He is a musician and just recently checked out Bruce on Broadway. Welcome to the show, my friend. Jesse, thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your elevator pitch. I'm uh... Latino rock musician here uh, in a little town just north of Asbury Park on the Jersey Shore who sings, plays guitar, and some other instruments, and and I release my own music through the internet. Oh, very nice. And I know we're going to talk about it. You have a new release out, so I I certainly want to give you a chance to talk about it and share where people can hear it and involved. but I always like to start at the beginning. So where did you grow up and was it a musical family? Did your mom and dad listen to a lot of music? Yeah, you know, I, I was born in Bogota, Colombia, but I was raised here in the States, in New York, okay. New Jersey. I was adopted to an Italian family out of Brooklyn. Oh, okay. So music's always been a big part of our upbringing but for some reason like bruce's music was one of the musicians that was one of the musicians that i guess resonated the most for some reason okay um my parents like to tell the story that they used bruce's music to potty train me you know i couldn't listen to the record unless i went in the potty that is awesome (laughs) okay that is one i have not heard before that is me either yes that is awesome (laughs) uh that that is too funny oh what kind of so they were bruce fans not really like my parents kind of listened to a like you have to remember this is 1984 so you really only have about what 30 years of rock music almost right so for them it's all sinatra dean martin and then everything they grew up with and born to run and born years say were two albums that my parents owned but they didn't own like darkness or the river Right. And stuff. And and this was still the age of vinyl. Sure. So they weren't big, big fans, you know, like we went to a show on the Born USA tour. I was like one and they brought me. Oh, how fun. See him at the Meadowlands at Born USA tour, you know, and I was I was there for the other band in 92 as as a kid. And I barely remember anything of the show. I just know I was there because I still had the tickets somewhere. Oh, good. So I've I've seen Bruce quite a few times. There was always, you know, Bruce was always a presence. But really, it was I had cousins who were musicians, played guitar and other instruments. Growing mm-hmm. up, they played in a band in Asbury Park for years, where they were nominated for 
for music awards in Asbury Park back in the day. So I was just always around music. And did you always have that? Did did you have a desire to, um, you know, make music yourself? When did you start picking up an instrument? Well, I started learning guitar when I was seven. My hands still, you know, they didn't, like, it's it's funny. I identify with that story from the show. I was going to mention Bruce had so the same much. story, right? Yeah, the hands, because they don't, they, they make, like, half size and three-quarter size guitars now for kids yeah. to learn on. They didn't make that until recently. So, again, here's me in 1990, would have been 1993, seven years old, January 93, trying to fit my hand around a full-size acoustic guitar's neck. But it's a, it's a classical guitar, not a regular acoustic. So those necks are like baseball bats, Yeah. like the thick end of a baseball bat. And I just couldn't, couldn't get my hand around it. So I just, I did like Bruce. I just banged the hell out of it and danced with it well, for and- maybe two years until I finally was able to sit down and play. But, but then when I started doing it, like I'm playing Beatles, I'm playing Beethoven, I'm playing advanced stuff before I even hit puberty on guitar. Did the, and also, right, um, it used to be metal, um, guitar strings when I was a little kid. And so you, you had to build those calluses on your fingers, you know, to make chords and such. Well, good. So I, I often will ask, so as you started growing up and going into high school, what did you find, what kind of music did you enjoy? I'm assuming this is um, late eighties, early nineties when you're hitting high school. No, I would have been this, let's see, I would have hit high school in 98. Okay. So late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of music were you enjoying? Oh God. Uh, (laughs) I was basically into synth pop, 80s synth pop, green day, Huey Lewis and the news. Um, and I sung doo-wop growing up. All my cousins, because we were all musicians, they would have us sing doo-wop because our parents are all boomers from the 50s. Oh, yeah. So, and me being the youngest male, I had to sing all the high parts. Okay. So, and I was into, like, Prince and David Bowie. I, I, I was always the rebellious child. So, like, eventually I kind of walked away from Bruce for a while after 95 seeing him solo on the Joe tour. Loved it. Never hated Bruce, but I started looking for other stuff. Yeah. And I started getting really into the 80s stuff that was still playing on radio, but everyone my age thought it was lame. Um, and Green Day was pretty much what mm-hmm. I was listening to. But it's it's like my relationship with music has always been a little different because I'm always behind everybody because I'm always looking backwards. Oh, where, where it's more? I find a band and I go find their influences. Right. So I'm I'm that that guy who's a complete nerd about music in that way, mm-hmm. you know. But now I turn on American Pie and I'm weeping because like the music and the clothes and everything is like it's so to what that moment in history was for for teenagers. It, I see so much of my upbringing in the film that it, it kind of makes you nostalgic, but it also makes you a little sad, <laughs> which sure. is kind of weird. With no, me. no, I understand. I understand exactly what you're saying, Diego. That you know that. Um, you know, I, um, I have similar, you know, I grew up in the seventies. I graduated high school in 77. So, uh, top 40 radio was, you know, I had an AM clock radio that would, you know, I'd get it to the AM station and, you know, I grew up hearing all these kinds of different music and, um, where you could have everything from, you know, the, Barry Manilow to Queen to Foghat to, you know, the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and just all these different, um, you know. There was always a late night DJ playing Rush. Yes, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Um, So they're very nice. So you, you kind of, you talked about, you know, like Green Day and other bands. Did you, did you, did you come back to Bruce? Or and what about him? What did bring you back to him? It was seeing him with E Street because if if you remember, he broke up with them in '89, so I missed the Tunnel of Love tour because I was still really young at that point. And so when I had seen him with the band was in 
92, but by the late 90s, I didn't really remember the show that much because I was so young when it happened. Sure. And so and I, I don't remember much of the Tom Joe show either just because I was such a kid. And even now, like trying to think back, I'm like, I kind of have an idea of what it was like, but I can't tell you. Like people could tell you what he talked about or what he joked about and what the set list was. And I'm just thinking about like, I just remember him on a stool with the guitar from Tom Joe. That's it. That's the only and I don't have like a sonic image of it. It's just the vision of seeing him and he's there and I'm here. And that's. That's what I remember. So, but then I saw him on the reunion tour with E Street, and that's when I really started to get it, was because that was my first experience with E Street. I understood, okay, yeah, Clarence is badass. Right. And Steve Van Zandt and Niels Lofgren can wail just as good as Bruce can on the guitar. And okay, it's Roy with Danny that it's that contrast that makes that really work. Because yeah. they're so incredibly different. As he talks about on, you know, Broadway, one plus one equals three. Exactly. And it is just, there is something magical about those group of musicians, you know, and part of it is the years they spent together. But yeah, that's, that's, I can imagine that's pretty amazing. It is. And it's not even to take away from like Seeker Sessions was a really good band. Yeah. As was the band. I think the band in 92, 93 gets a lot of guff from Bruce fans unjustifiably. I agree. Just, be, just because most of the band is are people of color. And I think I think there's that's part of it. And I think part of it is just because they're not E Street. Yeah. And they were, I still think that MTV plugged CD is one of the best CDs in his entire catalog. Yeah. And I encourage your fans to go back and listen, listen to that again. Just listen, forget that Clarence and Steve and all, and guys aren't there and just listen. That band played incredible for what they were. Yeah. It was such a, um, you know, one, he's, he's going against the, the format, right? Like, Oh, this is supposed to be unplugged. Well, now it's going to be plugged. And, um, and such a, you know, I'm, you know, Better Days is one of my favorite songs. And, and so when you look at this and the those two CDs, at times people can dismiss them, but they they each have their own little gems. Yeah, agreed. And when yeah. you listen to that live album, those are, when I think of those songs, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking the studio cut. Right. I'm thinking that because I think those are the definitive versions of those songs from the two ninety two albums. Yeah. Um I always like to preface this, Diego, with um the uh, the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. But um you've mentioned a couple times you've seen him. How many total times have you seen him? Uh God, I lost count. It's somewhere near in the in the low thirties, like okay. thirty one or thirty two. Okay. I'd have to I'd have to look. I used to compile the dates and the set lists and everything, and then my computer crashed. I lost the file and I never went back. Mm-hmm. So I got to see if I even still have the file somewhere. So once you like once you write it down, you tend not to yeah. retain it. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you're aware there is a um, there is a site called My Boss Time. And um, Elko is the guy who um, built it, and it has uh, – you can create your own free um, program, you know, just to log in. And he has every tour all the way back, and then you pick what shows you've been on, and then it will behind the scenes calculate what's your most heard song, what is your least heard song, what are tour premieres you've seen, what are your personal premieres. So it's a rabbit hole that could make you, you know. Like, oh God, I gotta try that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Yeah, my my buddy Sam says I wish someone would do that for Dylan because he's a huge Dylan fan, uh, for that same reason. Um, so, um, you and you re- now did you go to Broadway the first time? No, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to see uh, the 
Broadway run the first time. Okay. Um, I actually, I wouldn't have gone this time if somebody, luckily, um, I was able to get a hold of a, a free ticket through a Ticket Angel. Okay. And, well, uh, and well, tell I'm, me about the experience. Yeah, talk to me. Uh, so that was awesome. Uh, you were able to get a free ticket. That's always nice. Uh, talked about, so had you, you'd seen the show on Netflix, I take it. Yeah, I, I, I watched through it and it's in, and it's funny because I, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine who is a really big Bruce fan himself. Mm-hmm. And I said, cause he's, he's from, an, he's from outside the tri-state area here, you know, like New York, yeah. New York's a, a, a train ride away, an hour train ride away from here, and I'm in Manhattan in Midtown, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I told him, I said, well, you know, at least it's kind of on Netflix, so you can kind of experience it. And then I went to see it. I'm like, Netflix does not do this justice. You will, ne- you will never experience it unless you experience it live in person. Yeah. And it's 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 sad when you realize that because. This is the first time he hasn't taken the show on the road. Right. You realize that. And you realize that only a privileged few really are going to get the chance to see this. Yeah, I know that um, I, I know that a lot of people had speculated that, you know, London West End, he could set up and do that there, you know, to have a whole nother group of people. Um, I was really shocked when I heard he was coming back to Broadway because he is not someone who repeats himself very often. Um, you know, in fact, one of the things that admires me the most is that, um, you know, darkness is different than Born to Run, which is, you know, in Born in the USA and Tunnel Love and Magic and the Seeger Sessions and even Western Stars, The Letter to You. I mean, each time he reinvents himself and pushes himself artistically. Um, But I thought it was very cool that um, as Broadway is opening up, he is the, you know, he is the first, you know, mainstream Broadway show that's opened, and so I think that's really cool that he did that. Well, I, I, I mean, as somebody who has a little bit of a theater background, there's no yeah. way you were going to get anything else up as quickly, right? Because everything else requires so many hands, whether it's audio people and, and lighting people, and costume people. You have to get everyone rehearsed again because right. you're sitting out for a year. You can forget the little things exactly um, so nothing else would have ever gotten up as quickly so i mm-hmm. i get why he kind of came back and i it, but you could tell just the energy in the room the way he was playing he wants to be back with e street so bad yeah because this yeah. was not a quiet burst performance for a solo person it was loud and in your face you would not be able to ignore him Oh, wow. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Oh, that's great.
Yeah. So um, talk about, you know, seeing it live after seeing it on film, you know, talk about a couple of the highlights for us. Uh, God, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's two and a half hours. I mean, he just came on stage and immediately transformed into a younger version of himself, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's no, if that, if there's one thing I could say about Bruce is I'm used to seeing him just come on stage and just go to it. Right. But you never, you would never think that him by himself, because I'm used to him by himself being Tom Joad, the Devil's Dust Tour. He yes. comes out, he does the heart mic thing. And then he does his little spiel about how he needs quiet to perform those songs. They were written for quiet and everything. That's what I was used to. Right. He literally just comes out, tells the audience to shut the F up, and goes into it. Yeah. And then immediately he starts talking about Freehold. And I'm well acquainted with Freehold, New Jersey, because it's right here, 20 minutes south of me. I, I can drive right through the heart of town at a, at a moment's notice. So I know what it looks like day, night. I get it. I've been past the house on, on what is it, State Street you grew up on? Mm-hmm. I forget the name of the street, but I've been past it. So I know what that tree that he talks about, I know what that looked like before it came down because I've been through Freehold before. So like immediately I just start picturing everything in my mind and he just paints that picture with such a broad brush. It's like how I imagined Bob Ross would be if I wasn't able to see what he was painting. Mm -hmm. If I just closed my eyes and listened to Bob Ross. Yeah. That's kind of how it felt. Mm. You know? Yeah. The... Um, yeah, I know that when, um, I went and I was lucky enough to go on the first run that, you know, him not saying good evening or anything, just immediately going into the, his script went, oh, this is different. And also we, I remember, um, Tom Petty had died, right? And there was not like, oh, well, he'll open a song with petty no he didn't right because it's not that kind of show it is a true broadway show not a concert so um how um i i just need to i i heard from you know um a couple of people have been on there i assume the wish is still just as strong as it was this time the first time. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, it's, it's funny because I know they, that they said, you know, he had changed a few things up since the original yeah. run that you saw. And you could tell where he changed it up because he basically talks about the last 12 months, 15 yeah. months. And he even talks, he was joking about his arrest, his DOI arrest. Yeah. You know, and which he pretty much eviscerated the authorities that arrested him by, you know, pointing out, you know, it's the United States versus Bruce Springsteen. I somehow pissed the whole country off. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know? <laughs> That's a great like, line. How dare you drink two shots of tequila? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is like, you know, he who hasn't committed that sin cast the first stone. Exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And he um, found a way to fit that in just before the wish so neatly, mm-hmm. you know, but as soon as he went back to it, like the whole, the joke, everything just came down yeah. and he talked about his mother so earnestly. And, um, I don't know if he mentioned how much her disease had progressed when you had seen him, but he did kind of talk about how she unfortunately is no longer able to speak or walk. Mm-hmm. But he, they're somehow they're able to communicate with each other. And he yeah. knows, like, that was so powerful because my grandmother had also had to, suffered from dementia at the end of her life. But you, every now and then you still saw that same sparkle of who she really was. Mm-hmm. You know? I absolutely do. That sounds great. So um, you mentioned that you're a musician. Talk. How did you... When did you first start writing and, and performing? Tell me that origin story. So I was a baseball player growing up. Um, Back in high school. 
I'm back sorry. in high school. <laughs> yeah, it would, have, it would have been back in high school. And yeah. I messed up my rotator cuff really badly. Um, so I, it was, I had two choices. I could get the surgery, spend, I think it then it was like an, almost a nine month recovery, um, from the two operations that I needed and be able to play at 75, 80% at best of what I was before. And okay. I threw hard, but not really hard. I was a pitcher. Okay. Or I could just kind of not have the surgery. I'll just have to deal with some uncomfort, but I could just go back to my life, but I would never be able to play at, at any good level. Okay. Because of how messed up my rotator cuff was. And I was just like, I'm done. You know, obviously like, I'm not, good enough at baseball for me to risk nine months of my life in and out of physical therapy and having surgeries and everything. I just don't, I love the game, but nothing is worth that. Okay. When, Cause you're, you're young. You don't want to miss two summers. Right. You know? Yeah. So I decided not to do it. I just ended up spending more time with my guitar and, you know, being that kid in, you know, in my town, I come from, a very white suburb and I was one of only a few kids of color in my high school, you know? Okay. And of the few of us that there were, there were even less Latinos. Okay. You know? So it was not okay in any way, shape or form to be a person of color in my high school, specifically a Latino. Wow. And you know, so I, as constantly we... getting bullied you don't Ooh. have many friends. Okay. You go to the guitar. I try to I try to tell that story as honestly, but without it being like a whole thing. You know, it's it, it happened years ago. It's part of my story, but I feel like it, it, in one way it did make me a stronger, better person. You know, I wouldn't be the musician I am today if I didn't spend all my time with the guitar. Okay. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, see, I was um, a short, fat, white kid in Louisiana. Um, did um, so I did a lot of reading and watching Star Trek and and just you know throwing myself into comic books and everything. Um, so, in and it's hard for all of us, but I can't imagine. And, and I'm always amazed that people who can't embrace the fact that someone of, of color has a different experience than no matter what, right? Like I may have been this, you know, overweight white kid, but I was white and I was, you know, my parents were lower middle class. So there were, there were a lot of things that I would have no idea of that kind of prejudice and you know changing of working of that so uh, I can imagine it you know it, it pushed you to be more internal and spending time with your guitar yeah it also you know it's it's one of those things like even now the town is still kind of like that yeah um so and, and I'm, I'm trying to put this in a way that doesn't become alienating for anybody for anybody because sure. There's there's that side of the story as well, yeah. With everything kind of going on on and in the news right now, in the past couple of years, but it just that there's this distance, and and I forget specifically what scientific uh, theory it was, but I know there's a scientific theory where two people like two people can never meet because they'll always spend ha having to spend half the time spend the time covering half the distance. Right. So they could never truly, and you know, you have to cover half of that and half of that, but there just doesn't seem to be that bridge yeah. for me into that community because I'll always be like, no, no, he, he's always the other, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're growing up and it's not cool to be Latino, but then Bernie Williams and Jorge Posada start getting popped around the Yankees. So maybe it's a little okay to be Latino. Yeah. But you're still you're still not them, so you're still not cool. Joe, oh, everyone loves Jennifer Lopez and Ricky Martin and all that. And when I was in high school for the Latin invasion. Yeah. In music that really only lasted about three months. 
but you know you're still the other you're still outside of that you're still kind of different so i went to music i think originally because i was looking for a way to have an american conversation with the american people who i felt disconnected from because a lot of my earliest writings from when i was 16 or 17 were very politically charged even for a young kid and my mm. first album was based off those songs that that's interesting so um and and i think we all have to i, I think all musicians or whether you're a writer you know you 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 write what you know and you write what you you feel um and you know i know bruce has talked about at times that you know he wishes his his audience was more inclusive and that's why he talked about how beautiful it was to play at the super bowl because they were playing for the world at that point yeah yeah so I heard them um, even talk about when they played in Africa in '88 mm-hmm. for the uh, the human rights tour. Like he came because I come out in Africa to a sea of African dark African faces, and Clarence came over to me and he goes, "Now you know how it feels." Yes, you know. And he, I remember hearing him tell that story. Like, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. I I get that because most of the times I've been, and I've been at the stage of the Stone Pony. I've performed there with my band. I've performed as a part of other guys' bands. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at a room where the only faces of color are the ones working. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. And, uh, Absolutely. That's a pretty common experience. And uh, you, you, you notice things like that. And, and I always, you know, that that's the great thing about music. It could be the great equalizer. It could be the one thing where everybody can come together regardless of your upbringing. Because good music is good music. You, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, it's sung in Spanish or sung in English. Beautiful music is still beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, did when can you remember writing your first song? Vaguely, very okay. vaguely. I I just kind of remember trying to figure out how does one write a song, and then figure okay this is what a verse is and this is what a chorus is and I, I approached it very academically where I tried to learn I just kept listening to stuff and listening to stuff and listening to stuff and trying to just come up with stuff I even took songs that were already written by and just practiced writing lyrics just to get the idea of how to write to a rhythm mm-hmm. you know not even trying to take from anybody but just trying to, to practice that this is your melody, this is your line, this is how much you have to play with in terms of room and, and syllables are your currency, you have a finite amount, you have to learn how to say it within this. That's a very daunting task because there's no one way to learn that. Everybody learns that in their own way. And so it could be so intimidating. But I might have been 16 or 17 when I wrote my first songs. Okay. It would have been around then. Uh, and so it was probably about 2000 or so, late 2000. Mm-hmm. So the earliest one I do know is a song called Eighth Avenue. It's okay. a little rock pop song that I wrote. And I've never released it. I've never been able to get a good take of it recording-wise because I, I, I feel like i become that 16-year-old kid who doesn't know anything again mm-hmm. every time I try. Um, hopefully that'll change sometime in the near future where I'll be able to include... I, I'm doing this thing now where when I release an album, I include outtakes as bonus tracks yeah. when you purchased it from my website uh, as an incentive to get people to purchase my music to support me so i'm hoping that that becomes one of those tracks in in the near future so um you've you said you've released something new yeah i just uh just this past uh i guess three weeks ago on the 25th i put out my new album diego fm uh it's 12 songs streaming 
on all streaming services. But like mm-hmm. I mentioned, if you purchase from my from my website DiegoA.net, you get three uh, un unreleased bonus tracks that aren't available anywhere else uh, as an incentive to purchase it for $10. Okay. And that is Diego, D-I-E-G-O-A dot net. Yep. That's my website. Okay. Very nice. Um, what, tell me a little bit about the new album and, and, you know, what were you thinking and, you know, kind of give me some feelings where, and then I also want to hear, how do you promote an album in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> uh, all right, let me let me answer that last one first. Yeah, I still don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, still figure that one out, so I'm open to ideas. Yeah. Um, so this album, the story of this album starts in 2013. I had just put out an album called Magical, which was my second album. I'm getting a lot of comparisons to Bruce. Uh, because the album had a very Jersey feel. It sounded like E Street and Asbury Jukes jamming together, you know? Yeah. And it made me a little uncomfortable because eventually when people would come to see the, me and my old band, Lot 25, perform those songs live, I, you know, they, they were kind of subtly imply like I was somehow going to, I could one day replace Bruce. Like, who the needs me to replace Bruce. Yeah, what it, it's like, like <laughs> it's the joke. Like he said, I was the new Dylan. He said the hell, the new Dylan wasn't thirty yet or something, right? So uh, exactly. Yeah, even if you don't take age, even if you don't factor age into it, yeah. Bruce Springsteen has earned a immortal place in the American songbook. Yeah, people will be singing his songs decades after I'm gone. Yeah. Let alone decades after he's gone. Yeah, Diego, I've got it. Who in their right mind? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, keep going. I was going to say, like, who in their right mind thinks that anybody's going to replace Bruce Springsteen? Well, you know, and I, there was someone posted on Facebook. I can't remember which group, but uh, after letter to you, and um, the guy said, you know, I wish he would quit uh, releasing new material because it's just it's it's destroying his legacy and i went okay dude it's if you don't like the album fine you know if you don't like it's perfectly fine to not like it you don't have to like anything exactly you you do not have to like anything like if you don't like seeger or magic or rising and if you just you know are born to run and darkness are your two favorite albums and that's all you care but putting new material can no way destroy his legacy. I mean, there is all, I, I can, I cannot think, I suppose uh, getting arrested for drinking a couple of tequilas uh, might hurt his, I'm joking, of course, right? It just, so I, I understand your point. Like, hey, I'm glad you guys think I remind you of his music, but Bruce is one of a kind. Yeah, that's what made me nervous about it. And it, initially, people said it was like Bruce, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a one-off. And the one time I kind of do something Jersey, you know, that you know, it, it, that didn't bother me. It was when people started insinuating some kind of new Bruce or replace all that stuff was when it kind of started to bother me a little bit because I knew that that was a if I tried to play that game, it was going to be a losing game. I'm never going to write a song like Rosalita because I can't. That's not my song to write. Right. You know what I mean? That's I do. somebody else's story to tell. And he's told that already. He told it 10 years before I was born. Yeah. And that's that's fine. That's okay. So I, at, at the time, Lot 25 and I started getting popular around the shore. I said, I'm going to write something for us. But in the meanwhile, I had these other songs that I wanted to put out. I'll put that out in the meanwhile, just so we have something out to hold people over, because we probably won't get something out till 2016, which came true. We recorded in 2015 for a whole year. I wrote 65 or so songs, 10 went on the album. And one of which was an outtake called Long For You, which is on, the, which is on Diego FM. But that song was something like so different. It was such a great pop song. I'm like, I want to make sure if I put that on an album that it has, you know, like 10 songs around it that are almost or just as good. 
So I really took my time trying to write the best pop music that I could. And it just took me a few years because I kind of, I tend to follow the music where it takes me. And the music kind of took me in a different direction where Eden Boulevard's a very angry punk album. And that was such a big conceptual sort of mentally draining exercise. I just didn't have it in me to write anything nearly as good as Eden Boulevard to follow it up with. So I went, I said, I got to tell a quieter story. I wrote a folk album called This American Life, which I put out in 2018. At the same time, I was working on Diego FM. So it's all this really cool 80s style synth pop. And with the 80s having a bit of a renaissance over the last couple of years, like it was the only time it was going to be okay to release that because I, it was an excuse. The mm -hmm. 80s are back. The 80s are popular again. This, this was the time to do it. It, would, it was never going to come back again. And I'd always wanted to do an 80s synth pop album because I love 80s music yeah. and 80s culture. Yeah. So if you're into Huey Lewis and the News and 80s Bruce and – and now I had that vision in my head of the band from that movie. We only do '80s, Joel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you like any, if you like '80s stuff, Cobra Kai, Stranger Things, then you're probably gonna enjoy this album. It's just meant to be fun and upbeat and danceable, sing along, blast it in your car while you're hanging out with your friends type of experience. Um, because the last couple albums I wrote were really intense and emotional and very heavy subject wise and it was just time to do something fun again okay so that's that's kind of where i was at when i put this put this out i was originally going to put it out last year but the like you said how do you promote an album during a pandemic yeah i have no idea i was going to do a tour and i was going to do like a release night on vinyl at a local skate uh uh skating rink mm -hmm. and have like an 80s night with like for like prizes for the best 80s costumes and stuff like that and, and and get a new band to play behind me for it i had so many great ideas on how to put diego fm out there and i just couldn't do any of them because if you look at the, the music video for long for you it's literally just me at my parents house sitting on a chair playing an unplugged guitar and pantomiming singing the vocal yeah because it's 20 degrees out and they're already starting to talk that there's something going on, some kind of thing that might be coming here, some new disease at the time I had filmed that. And then maybe three or four weeks after the music video came out, we got hit with COVID and I would, and I, it, it took all my plans for music videos, touring. I had like six or seven shows already booked. And another 10 that I didn't announce that I was still waiting to confirm. Mm -hmm. It just got obliterated have in, you, in the middle of it. Have you been able to perform um, since vaccines have started been rolling out? No. Um, one, thing I did, one thing I did do is blowupradio.com, which is a, a New Jersey internet station yeah. that plays local artists from the Garden State, had done a few uh, live performance things and i pre-taped with some friends who as a band we just call ourselves jokingly the vaccine spelled v-a-k-s-c-e-n-e-s -E -E all right very funny <laughs> yeah um so i just basically recorded us performing together uh using uh instead of real drums we had an electronic drum kit hooked up to my computer triggering samples mm-hmm so that we had more channels for the bass and the keys and everything. I did that. I might do some virtual touring on social media, yeah. which I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Diego Music NJ for all four. So I might do some touring that way where I'll perform in some way mm -hmm. and post it or do it live. But there's there's very little you can do because I can't put it's hard enough to, to get a band together under normal circumstances. But with a hundred year pandemic going on. Yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those things where I had the best possible ideas at the worst possible moment. Yeah. Do uh, I, I've heard like Jason Isbell was on an interview and he said that financially him and amanda were doing fine but 
that he just missed performing. So I'm going to ask you that obvious question. Do you miss the live crowd? Do you miss that live performance? Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that ever replaces performing live with a band in person. Yeah. There's nothing that can replace that. Do I... I don't miss the loading in and loading out. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I don't miss carrying, you know, 50 pound base cabinets with one free hand yeah. in a hundred degree weather where it's 50% humidity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's easy for him to miss playing live. He doesn't have to carry his own crap. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean you want to talk about privilege. Yeah. Um yeah, of course. Everybody who doesn't have to carry their own gear misses playing live. You don't miss yeah. having to haul it in the humidity <laughs> when you're not doing you kind of realize, man, I I really don't like doing that. <laughs> well, and um I also I, I can only imagine I have a real good friend uh, who's named Sarah Hickman, and she's now retired. She doesn't perform live much anymore. But, you know, when she was just starting out, you know, playing coffee shops and pizza parlors, you know, and would, you know, she talked about often where, you know, the drunk frat boys, hey, play Louie Louie, witch. And she's just, you know, when she was trying to do, you know, an original song. So um, there, there is. I didn't some... want to say, but yeah, you miss, you don't miss that either. You yeah, know? yeah. And it, that thing is like it's. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with her to know when yeah. what era she would have been just coming up in. Yeah. I'm coming up in the era of you have a device in your pocket that could access any recorded song from yes. any period of time from anyone in the entire world. Whenever you want. If you want to hear that song, go out in your car. Feel free to listen to it. I'm here yeah. to do what I want because that's the only thing I have left. As people don't get, it's a, still a business. Even if you go to the show for free, somebody is trying to sell something. And when you don't have the ability to present the one thing that you have left that corporations, that streaming services can't give away for free and usurp you with, mm -hmm. um, you ruin the ability for that person to truly show you who they are. Like, that's the one thing I got is what it is I do as an artist. Yes. Even if it is performing a cover, it might just be that one cover that I know how to really portray with my own music or that connects to what I do in some way. Yeah. And that's all I have left now, because yeah. with streaming services, the idea, oh, it's free. I don't really have to pay for it. OK, that's great. But as somebody who's not on a label and somebody whose song isn't at the top of the charts, when you stream instead of purchasing my music, you almost lose me money because people don't understand what the pay rate is for the artist. I make zero point zero 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 six cents per stream yeah. which means if my song streams a million times i only make six thousand dollars yeah then i have to pay some of that to the streaming services to my distributor to the government which that's that's the deal i made it's a and i get a better deal than most people on that i have no problem doing that but the, it doesn't add up for the artist well, and, you know, I've had a couple of musicians on the podcast we talk about, right, that, you know, you do the gig so that at the end of the night, you yourself or one of your best friends sits there at a table with the CD selling for 10 bucks. And, oh, by the way, if you want all three, we'll let you have it for $25, right, just hoping to cover enough gas, um, that got you to this gig. I mean, that's, you know, we, we, I've talked to plenty of them and absolutely, um, it, I urge people to, yeah, absolutely sample the music, but if you like what you're hearing, you know, go to the website and, uh, whether it's your direct website or Bandcamp or wherever these are and pay some money, donate some money to just help because, um, it 
it is it it is it's how you support art. It's of how you support creativity. Exactly. And I do things different from other artists because I'm a solo artist. I don't have the band. Yeah. So if I have a band behind me, I'm paying them out of pocket before yeah. the show even gets played. Yeah. I'm paying that out of pocket. So at the merch table is where I'm hopefully trying to get enough money to at least break even. Yeah, exactly. You know, not even not even forgetting about the gas to get to the gig. I just want to break even on the band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Diego.net. Um, Diego A.net. Yeah, Diego A. Uh, I couldn't get Diego.com or Diego.net. How funny. Nickelodeon took them both. Wow. And the new album is Diego FM. So that is awesome. I am looking forward to listening to it. And uh, I will be sanding a little coin your way. Um, let's get back to Bruce just a little bit. Are there songs and albums that mean a lot to you? Talk to me. What's your thoughts on Letter to You, maybe? Um, well, with Letter to You, I thought it was, a, I think it's a, an album with a couple of really good so, new songs on it. The 70s stuff, obviously, is great. Yeah. There's a couple of good new ones, too. I'm going to be honest, wasn't the biggest fan of Power of Prayer or House of a Thousand Guitars. Okay. Um, I don't know if maybe it's the way they went about producing it. It, it just kind of sounded like something that they decided not to include on tracks this three. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the songwriting and the production, it, it's still they still sound like that 1984 era Bruce. So yeah. I, I kind of didn't take to it, but I thought that like Ghosts was a great track, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Janie Needs a Shooter I thought was absolute fire. Um, but it's definitely a good album. Go list like the, whoever said it was a terrible album. Runa's legacy is nuts. Yeah, exactly. The Bruce I always go towards is yeah. the Bruce that that you only see once, like Darkness, Tunnel of Love, Wild and Innocent, Wrecking Ball, Ghost of Tom Joad, Magic. Those are my like big Bruce. Those are the ones I'm usually spinning in the car. Okay on the way somewhere when I want to listen to Bruce. Cause I like when he really has something to say, or he has something to say in a way that you would never hear him do twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's Nebraska too. So I, I tend to, I, I don't not like stuff like born to run or dancing in the dark or thunder Rose, stuff like that. Those are great songs and from great albums. But if I have a choice, I'm going to lead towards the sort of less popular stuff or maybe the less played stuff. You know, I always sure. tell people like when they ask me what my favorite Springsteen song is, I'm like, oh, it's Frankie. And they're like, mm-hmm. Frankie. I'm like, yeah, because that's when he really became Bruce Springsteen. Everyone likes to think of him as born to run, but he'll always be that working class guy, that Americana heartland working class guy, because that's what he was from 78 onward. Mm-hmm. That became his thing. He kind of stepped out of that that counterculture pop thing in the seventies, like he was doing with Born to Run. And Frankie was that bridge from Born to Run to Darkness that we never got because of the lawsuit. Yeah. The uh, the it, and I think that's an interesting thought. And it do and I do think like there are songs on tracks that are on my wish list of things that I hope to hear live that I know that are, you know, a million to one, uh, you know, he's, he's probably not going to do, uh, you That's know, lions I, saw, I saw him do living in, I've seen him do lions den and I've seen him do living on the edge of the world. Wow. Okay. Then I hope springs eternal. That's it. You know what you have to do? You have to go see him where he's going to do, more than one show yeah because that's where you'll see him the second and third night he'll start bringing out the rare stuff because i never thought i'd ever hear him play secret garden or living proof but then i was there at the last show at meadowlands in 2016 he played both yeah oh that's great um are there songs that you're still chasing as a fan that you'd love to hear live frankie frankie that's the yeah it's still that's still the one i haven't really i mean for me to say anything else kind of just feels like I'm being selfish. Yeah. So it's like, well, what's the one song? Let me boil it down to one. I'm like, you know what, Frankie? Because there's a bunch of stuff I've seen that I know other people want to see, but I've seen multiple times. 
I've seen him play instant on 57th Street multiple times. Yeah. And I know guys who are dying to hear it who have been seeing him for 40 years. Yeah. And still haven't heard that song live. Yeah. So I feel like I've been fortunate enough to hear, hear him do some rare stuff. You know, and the, it would be selfish for me to have more than one. The first seven times I saw him, he did not do Thunder Road live. You know, wow, like you would thought, yeah. Uh, my first show was in 2002, and uh, okay, at the Rising, and so then he wasn't doing it. And then you know, um, but you would think, God, how could you have not heard Thunder Road? But it so you know, there's always, you know, and everyone's show is someone's first show. So yeah. they are eager to hear those songs. Um, Diego, what have I not asked you that I should have asked you? Uh, uh, I don't, I'm, uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I thought this, this has been a really great interview. I'm, I'm having Thanks. so much fun. Well, um, so am I. I think the one thing I would want to add would be, yeah. um, you know, the, the thing <laughs> – if you're going to go see uh, Bruce on Broadway, um, be aware that when you think the show ended, it didn't end. He does the same thing he does with E Street, where there's four different encores. Mm -hmm. And just when you think it's over, there's another song. So be prepared for that. That's <laughs> good. That's, that's awesome. I, I wasn't, and I drank the water a little too quickly. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so, like, I was... I was at, at every song. I'm like going, okay, great. I can go to the bathroom now. No, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not leaving yet, but <laughs> exactly. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So well, be, be judicious with the water. All right. Well, before, and actually that's when I went, I did not buy anything to drink for that very reason. Uh, it was, um, in fact, I've told the story before my very first show in 2002 we were at, it was here in Dallas, and we were at the rafters, right? Like nosebleed sections may have only been two or three rows behind us. And uh, so we're, we're climbing up. It's those steep, you know, how in arenas you can have that steepness. And so we get there and my wife's like, okay, what do you want to drink? Do you want Diet Coke? We're going to go get beer. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like what like nope nope i don't want you know at all and uh so i did the same thing i i when i got into the um walter you know Cur the theater i went immediately to the bathroom and uh came back down and like nope not getting something to drink uh which i didn't get the souvenir glass luckily a couple people sent me one but uh, if i thought about it oh i would have bought just for the souvenir glass but no i didn't want to have to do the bathroom so i get you yeah you know what me too i came home with a hat and a poster i would have gotten the glass too except i got a bottle of water yeah oh man i would love to have had one of those glasses too yeah absolutely but uh i actually i had the exact opposite experience once i went to go see him with a buddy of mine and because my buddy suffered from really bad asthma we had trouble with the climbing mm -hmm. in the upper deck so they just put us down with all the industry people oh so really, everyone's nice. everyone's sitting there with their arms folded and they bailed after the first two hours so it's mm -hmm. literally just us and one other guy in the whole section on the side of the stage on clarence's side at, at the at the arena oh that wasn't the arena that was the stadium at the stadium so the wow. lights are on after Born to Run, and I'm standing there whipping my shirt in the air, and Bruce is walking around doing 10th Avenue, sees us points, and just starts laughing at the two idiots that's by awesome. themselves rocking out. So I'm like, fucking yeah, you looked at us. Yay, that's great. That is awesome. Um, all right. Uh, we've been talking over an hour. I can't believe it. We've already gone through it. But before I let you go, we got to ask you the Mary question. So if you're a fan of Diego and you're listening to this uh, and you've never heard this podcast before, you're probably going, what's the Mary question? Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher uh, that has just recently retired, but he would once a year, his seniors, he would take two days of the honors English class and they would break apart Thunder Road. Look at all the imagery, look at the lyrics uh, and discuss it comparing it to other poems similar to like robert frost i think i know where this is going already and so the question <laughs> is does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road of course it wouldn't have been the first song on the album it wouldn't be the beginning of something if she didn't okay very nice i uh i appreciate that 
Uh, final thoughts, my friend. Uh, just thank you so much for having me on. It's been been great uh, talking to you and talking a little Springsteen. I'm glad that somebody nerds out on music and Bruce's music as much as I do. Well, this is great to have you on. I, I appreciate it. Um, I, I'm, I hope that everyone goes. Um, it is diegoa.net. Uh, check out the new album. Uh, check out some of the older albums as well. Uh, let's give Diego a little bit of love. Um, and uh, let's, you know, support new music out there. Um, my friend, please take care. Um, and you listeners, please go get vaccinated. Let's get back to normal. Let's get so we can go out and uh, Diego can lift up, you know, speakers and <laughs> and have to do. Uh, I, I, you made me laugh. I have a, I had a guy on God, several years ago. He's my he's actually my uh, nephew-in-law and uh, he, he runs a band. It's a, it's kind of a R and B dance band out of Austin, Texas. So they do a lot of like, he'll do an Al Green tribute, but he does original music in that style. And oh, he that's talked, cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah uh, they're called the night owls. So you can check, check that, out. that out. Yeah. So Ryan talked about that. The time on stage is the easiest part of touring. Like oh, yeah. he says, he says, he says that two or three hours is just joy. He said, driving the van, trying to coordinate how often we stop for bathroom breaks because someone's got a smaller bladder. Another one's bitching because we're having to stop so often. Who sleeps in the van this time versus who gets a hotel room this time? Coordinating all that. He goes, all that is just, and when I get on stage is the joy. <laughs> and so I, I have can, a I have a funny story for that. Please. I got a funny story for that. We're playing this little bar in Seaside, New Jersey, right? Yeah. For this live. We were only supposed to play 45 minutes, and we only get to play 30 because the band behind us took an hour to set up a smoke machine like they were playing in Madison Square Garden. And everyone in the show that was playing Anthony like us got pissed at him for it. But that's not even the story. The story is about two hours before they went on, we loaded all our stuff into the corner. All the good-looking waitresses are there. I'm newly single, so I tell the bass player, I got your bass amp. Don't worry about it. I take this 75-pound bass cabinet with one arm and drag it in, trying to impress the waitresses. Yes. And then the whole show, strumming my guitar made me want to bite through glass because my arm was killing me by the time I got the chance to play. All because I wanted to impress the good-looking waitress with the flannel shirt tied in a uh, I love that. That is that is the the glory of rock and roll, right? It is just exactly. Is I didn't even get the date, but I was in such pain. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that is wonderful. All right, my friend, we will do this again. Uh, anytime, anytime you want to talk your music, we'll love to do that. Listeners, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, 
fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.